Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. I just want to welcome everybody joining us downtown, west side, Monterey, Mexico. We love you guys. We're so glad to be able to do church together. Now, uh, now if, you're, if you're a little newer, I'm Pastor Peter, and of course, uh, when my wife and I planted this church a little over 18 years ago, really our, our whole passion as we would grow as a congregation, and I, I would tell people this all the time, as we grow bigger, we must grow smaller. As we get larger, we must grow more intimate. At the end of the day, our goal is not to create church services for all nations. It's to make disciples. And, of course, in order to do that, we've got to really help people find their tribe here at Substance. And so you're always hearing us talk about small groups, mainly because, ultimately, that's kind of what it means to be a part of our our. Our community, our church, is we want everybody to have a tribe of people that they're so connected to that you're automatically, just by virtue of, of being a part of that group, you're, you're sharing prayer requests, you're setting goals, you're confessing sin, all these types of things that are actually meant to be a delightful byproduct of, of being a part of community. And a lot of people, they miss out on that. And I remember a, a couple years ago, I got... Uh, as a pastor, many of you guys know I've written a lot of books, and so it's very common for me to get different books to read for book endorsements. People want me to kind of put my little endorsement on it. And a while back, I got a manuscript for a book called Walking with Lions, and I thought, oh, this is going to be an interesting title. There's actually some books that I'll read, and I'll be like, yeah, I'm definitely not endorsing that one. Uh, but uh, this one, let me just tell you, when I, when I started reading through it, I'm like, I'm like, dang, this is good. And I don't say that about a lot of books, and I read a lot of books. And I was like, wow, this is really good, because I, I had never met anyone who had put into writing a lot of our church's theology of small groups and community and fellowship and really what it means to be a part of a church, not a church service, but a church community. And of course, I'm reading it and I'm like, Jonathan Wiggins, like I, I remember, I, I remember meeting Jonathan in an airport, <laughs> you know, uh, this, this guy. And I thought he's, a, I knew he was a good guy. But when I'm reading this and it was all about how to do life with other Christians, I thought, this is something my church really needs. And so, like, you're going to notice that at all of our locations in our bookstores, uh, particularly downtown Northtown, we offer this book mainly because we want you guys to really be connected to a small group at, at Substance. And, of course, our small groups are launching this next week. And, of course, what, what's crazy about this book is take a wild guess who is in the house today the very author of this book, Jonathan Wiggins. Jonathan, would you come on up here? I love Jonathan and Amy Wiggins. I love your whole family. I literally, like I got to, like you have to understand, I meet a lot of pastors and pastors tend to drive me nuts. And every once in a while, you brought me groceries. I Thank did. you. You look hungry. You're so, you're so kind. No, like a lot of pastors drive me nuts, but like, I literally was like trying to, I, I loved you and your family so much that I was literally trying to friend your son for video game playing. And, and of course, he never responded to me, and I still feel a little rejected, but <laughs> I, uh, 
but uh, I, I literally was just like, I want to play. I just want to be with your family and be, do life with you. And, uh, of course, Jonathan and Amy, they pastor an incredible church, Res Church in Loveland, Colorado. And I just, I, again, there's, there's, you live out the principles of authenticity in this book in such a beautiful way. And, of course, by the way, let me just say this. Church, he did a kid's book, too. What? I, I love that. It's kind of like, or as I like to call it, Peter's book. <laughs> because, you know, I'm a, I'm a child at heart, and it has great animation. And you can even put this book belongs to. I just think that's brilliant. Like, <laughs> ferrisectomy for kids. No. I love it. That'll probably never happen. <laughs> if Raise that them does, right. <laughs> talk to me. But I, I just, uh, no, for real. Like, you're, you're a brilliant dude. It is an honor to have you in the house. I actually love listening to you preach, which I don't say that about a lot of preachers either. And in church, substance, you get to experience this guy, Pastor Jonathan Wiggins. So would you guys, wherever you're at, would you stand up to your feet and give him a warm substance <laughs> welcome? Love Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Come on, who's happy? All right. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm looking around. I want you to know you look good. I see Jesus on you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, make eye contact, and say, have you lost weight? You look amazing. Thank you for making God a priority today and being here. And I want to give a shout out to those who are joining us online. And yeah, from all of the campuses, we are uh, so honored that you would uh, prioritize and honor God on a Sunday. And those of you that are watching online, there's nothing like being in the room, right? So let's, uh, let's just welcome everybody who's joining with us. We love you guys so much. <laughs> Pastor Peter and Carolyn, you guys are some of the greatest pastors on earth, and I, I see the fruit of it all around us at Substance, but I also see it through some of the networks uh, where we benefit from your example in ministry and then I've seen you guys uh, in my uh, home setting in our church do ministry uh, uh, to our church, but to our family and to uh, friends and our staff. You guys have cared for us. You've pastored us. Nate, you've been there uh, for people that are really important to me. And, and I, don't, I really don't know a, a senior leadership team uh, more redemptive than these guys. So can we just honor some of the greatest pastors I know? We love you so much. <clears throat> It's an honor to be here from Loveland, Colorado. My family's not with me, but I do have a picture of this beautiful crew. So I think we have, this is my family here. All the way on the left is, is Sam, who apparently has ghosted you on social media. Pastor Peter, sorry about that. Stern talking to when I get home with that guy. All right, to the right of him, uh, the lovely Amy. Come on, somebody. She's pretty right there. 26 years of marriage, and we are just warming up, having fun. And then on the other side of me is my daughter, Sarah. She's our younger daughter. And then uh, to the right of her, this family of four there is my son, Nathan, his wife, uh, Maddie, and then my grandkids, guys. I'm a grandpa. It's a voice of experience and wisdom you guys have today. Uh, but standing there in the middle is Johnny, and then my granddaughter, Sage, is being held by Maddie. And then my daughter, who's also named Maddie, is all the way on the right. So give it up for my crew. That's my family, and they send their love. I want to talk to you guys today uh, about something that we, we talk about in church. Uh, have you ever just noticed sometimes pastors or Christian people, church people, they use words we don't often totally understand? And one of the words I hear a lot is this word anointing. Uh, have you ever heard the word anointing? 
Okay, and so what is that? Why, why do we talk about that, this worship was anointed? Or, or sometimes if you've been in a, in a worship experience where someone maybe is praying for someone to, uh, to take a position of leadership, or maybe they're sick and we're praying for their healing, sometimes people will, will take oil and we'll anoint them uh, with oil and then pray for them. What is that about? And so today I wanna talk to you about uh, heaven's oil uh, or the uh, anointing. Now before I get into scripture about that, I just wanna let you guys take a look at this. We're really talking about this, but something that symbolized, something from heaven that symbolized well uh, by this uh, symbolic, this picture of oil. So, so I have a question, what, what can you do with this? Anybody, come on, shout it out. <laughs> you can fry chicken. I, just, I, think, I think I found a cousin. <laughs> Let me tell you something, I felt the Holy Ghost right there. So I live in Colorado, but I'm originally from Louisiana, and every Sunday we would eat fried chicken after church. That was just part of the experience, you know? In fact, we fried everything. I heard of a guy that, heard of a Southern guy that deep fried his hands before he chewed his fingernails. I mean everything. No. No, seriously, there are restaurants where you can go, catfish buffets, fried chicken buffets, and everything, those hot lights are just different types of breaded, golden, delicious things. And you, and you start from one end, and it's like fried catfish and fried chicken. And then you get to the other food groups, fried Oreos <laughs> and fried cigarettes. But anyway, it's just, we've <clears throat> we fry everything. Now, in the South, I remember there'd be people that would try to eat healthy, you know, and they'd say, hey, I'll do the fried chicken next week, but they would bring chicken that they didn't use oil. It was a healthier substitute. And can I just tell you, as a, as a Southerner, we have, we have gas stations in the South that have better food than a lot of your restaurants here. All right? Don't, don't be mad at me for telling you the truth in church. <laughs> and so somebody, they tried to do this healthy option, and we would eat it. And, and when you try to cook something without oil, try to fry something without oil, what happens is, some, there are hot spots and cold spots, and part of it gets burned. And what I'm trying to say to you, this is really important for you to hear on a Sunday morning, guys. Uh, the difference between a really delicious piece of fried chicken, when the heat gets intense, it gets better, versus when the heat gets intense, uh, this, this chicken gets hot and cold and burn up and, and burn out. The difference is oil, okay? You can cook with it. You can also put it in your car, put oil in your car, um, one time I, I had a friend who got an oil change and they forgot to put in the uh, oil plug, okay? And so all that fresh oil just poured out onto the street they're driving off. Now, what do you think happened? They ran out of oil. And what happens when there's oil there? The engine can take you and me anywhere we want to go. But in the absence of oil, you can still crank your car. You can still drive for a few miles, and then the engine will completely just lock up, freeze up, and many times be completely unusable moving forward. Then the difference between getting to your destination or burning out and locking up short of your destination is the presence of oil. Um, my grandmother used to have coal oil lamps all over her house. And so she lived out in the middle of nowhere, and sometimes me and my siblings would go over to my grandmother's house and and we would spend the night there and a storm would, you know, would blow in and, and we had, they had above ground power lines and those power lines would get sometimes compromised and all the power would go out at my grandmother's house. Now this is before cell phones and batteries. I don't know about you, but I'm older today than I've ever been. Anyone? And uh, yeah, <clears throat> and, uh, 
And so my grandmother would just, she, she kept oil in these coal oil lamps, and it just would have a wick that would come out of a reservoir uh, of oil, and there would be some kind of glass uh, shield, a, a wind guard of some kind. You guys, I see some of you are like, yep, I've seen it. And she would uh, strike a match and, and light the wick in every room of the house. And so even though there was no electricity, that wick would draw on the power of the oil and would give light all through the night. Now listen, you can take a dry wick and you can strike a match and you can light that wick and it will burn and it will give light. But how many of you know, not for very long? Because the difference between uh, shining for the duration of a dark season or burning out in the middle of a dark season is the presence of oil. Oil can be used in medicine. Nations that have oil are powerful politically and economically. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is to tell you that in almost every case, oil represents power. And the Bible says that God has something like oil that he wants to pour out on his people. In fact, you can see this in the 23rd chapter of Psalms. I think we have a slide for this. But simply, David just says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. God wants to pour something out on your life that allows you to endure intense heat and only get better instead of having hot and cold spots and burning out. Come on, somebody. I said this in the last service. I preach faster when people respond to me. <laughs> that allows you and me to, in the dark seasons, to give light without burning up and allows us to go the distance instead of locking up and falling short of the destination that God set before us. God wants to pour something out in our lives that has some kind of characteristics like oil. In fact, there's a moment where God tells, uh, uh, he tells the, uh, his people, tells Moses, says, hey, I want you to put together a recipe of something that represents this power that I wanna pour out from heaven and it's called holy anointing oil. And you can see this in the book of Exodus and there's some things about this, this holy anointing oil that I think can help uh, instruct us on what God wants to do in our lives and what he wants to pour out on our lives. Uh, Exodus 20, I think verse 35 says something about the anointing oil. So one of the things it says is that this anointing oil is to be the work of an expert perfumer. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That this substance that's supposed to be poured out, I just said substance in substance. That was pretty cool. <laughs> the substance um, that you pour out on people is to be designed by a perfumer. In other words, it's designed to stick out. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, like a teenage boy who doesn't shower, but instead they just drench themselves in Axe body spray? You know, and they just walk in and it just flattens everything in the room. Like this anointing is designed to, to be noticed. And so I wanna talk to you undercover Christians out there. You know, you think it's my job to, I'm gonna be a person of faith, but no one's gonna know it. That's not how the anointing works. Something in your life will change the atmosphere. You guys with me today? And so the anointing is designed to, to, to stand up and to, to, to stick out. All right, it's also illegal for it to be copied. In other words, there's only one authorized source of this anointing oil. Can I tell you, there's only one authorized soy, source of the anointing. And it's not in a smoke machine. It's the presence of God, okay? And it's reserved for three kinds of people. The Bible says that this holy anointing oil was to be poured out on prophets, priests, and kings. And I believe that heaven's oil is reserved 
for three kinds of people. Priests are people who pray, people who bring the concerns from their family and their community, their nation, things that are concerning them, and they boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, and they pray. People who pray, who have one hand in the hand of you know, God's hand, another hand in the hand of a friend or someone far away from God, those people carry heaven's oil on their life, right? Prophets, what's the present day equivalent of that? Those are people that speak up and speak out on behalf of God. They're people that won't be silent. They're the people that invite others to faith. They invite people to church. The Bible says, blessed are those, this book of Revelation says, blessed are those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Every time you invite somebody to substance, every time you invite somebody to faith in Jesus, even if they say no, you are blessing them because you're giving them an invitation to heaven. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, man, that guy preaches really good. (laughs) So we talked about priests and prophets. What are kings? Kings are leaders. Kings are people who have found a way, let me say it this way, they found a way to serve a large number of people. John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, and then a lot of times in in healthy leadership culture, you'll hear the term servant leader. But I'm here to tell you today, I don't think there's any other kind of leader other than someone who's found a way to solve problems and serve more and more and more people. People that lead through serving, don't miss this, carry heaven's oil on their life. And in every case, this holy anointing oil Once it was poured out on a prophet, a priest, or a king, it was designed to be transferable from generation to generation. So if a king, a priest, or a prophet, when they would get old and die, or even if they forfeit their anointing, that anointing would not go back to heaven, right? But instead, God would look for the next person, the next leader, the next generation to pour his oil out on their life. And we see this without exception. In the Bible, let's go through some of the examples. You know, you think about uh, priests. The first priest to be anointed was a guy named Aaron. He was the high priest of Israel. He got very old and and uh, uh, in his in his journey, and he, he's coming to the end of his life. Now, I want to say something about the nature of the way he was anointed, because I think a lot of times in church uh, we do it very hygienically. When we anoint people, we just get a little poop of oil, and then we go poop. No, we don't make the sound, but you guys know what I'm saying. It's just a very just a little drop. But that's not the way it works in the Bible. In fact, there's a scripture in Psalms that says when Aaron was anointed, that, there, that it was poured on him and that it, that it ran into his beard, this perfume-like uh, uh, oil ran into his beard and into his priestly garments. Now, I, I wanna tell you something I know from personal experience. Oil has a way of sticking in your clothes. In fact, I was at a conference one time. I used to be a worship leader before I became a, a lead pastor. And so I was leading worship at this conference. And this uh, leader of the conference, it was a woman, she said, hey, I believe God's told me, Jonathan, I want to anoint you today. Is that okay? She asked me in front of everybody. I'm like, sure. Very naively, very trusting at the time. I walk up and I close my eyes. And what I didn't know is that she had apparently had gone to Costco. So she brings this vat of oil, like a gallon of oil, and then she just turns it over. And, and what I remember, my eyes were closed, but I hear bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> and oil got in my hair, in my ears, and in my collar, in my shirt, in places we can't talk about, in church, and in my pants, and my, 
I bought new clothes. I bought new shoes for the conference. I wanted to look good, right? And that oil just got in all of it. And I, and I went to lunch after that, that session, and I was very shiny. <laughs> but I literally had to throw all of those clothes away because oil has a way of sticking in your clothes. And so when Aaron gets old and he's ready to, uh, uh, God told him, your, your days are numbered. It's time to transition this office of high priest to the next generation. He went to the top of a mountain with his son named Eliezer. And when he got to the top of a mountain, he took off this garment drenched in this perfume-like oil. I want you to see that in your imagination. He took it off and he slipped it over the head and the body of Eliezer. And Eliezer's just being anointed all over with this perfume-like oil as this garment is being slipped over his body. And in a moment, Eliezer was changed from being a regular, everyday, ordinary guy Right, Just kind of a bland person to a person who started to smell like his dad, smell like the high priest. He started to smell like the anointing. So he went up a normal person, but he came down covered in heaven's power. So you see that with priests. Prophets would be when Elijah anointed Elisha. Now, sometimes we confuse those names because they sound alike. And I was actually in a church service once where this woman stood up and she said, thus says the Lord. So she's speaking on behalf of God. And she says, I will pour out my spirit as I did in the days of Elijah. Or was it Elisha, saith God? <laughs> we'll try to keep those names straight for you today. But Elijah carries the anointing of prophet and, and God tells him to anoint Elisha. And if you guys remember, there was a moment where he's, uh, uh, Elijah is leading Elisha. They cross the Jordan River. God miraculously parts this water. They walk through. They get to the place where God... Uh, sends a chariot of fire and picks up Elijah and takes him home. Now imagine being Elisha and he's watching Elijah get smaller and smaller and smaller going up to heaven. And then there's like a speck, that's all he sees. And then it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Something's falling back down. And what was it? It was Elijah's mantle, it was his cloak. Oil has a way of sticking in your clothes. And when that mantle hit the ground, Elisha walked over and touched that that cloak, and he was supercharged with Elijah's anointing times two. And he walked over to that Jordan River, and he's holding this cloak, and he says this, where is the God of Elijah? And he struck the water, and the waters parted. In other words, he had been anointed through that, that garment. So we see priests, we see prophets. What about kings? The first guy to be anointed king of Israel was a guy named Saul. And he looked like a king. In fact, the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He looked good. And one day he was working for his dad. And his job before he was the king, his job was to find lost donkeys. Isn't that great? You really should read the Bible. It is so great. <laughs> and so his job was to go relocate, was to go find donkeys that had gotten out of the, the pen. And so one day he is looking for these donkeys and he is having the hardest time. He would see a donkey over here and he would maybe get it wrangled. Okay, okay, point it in the right direction, point toward home. You stay there. And then he sees another donkey. Can you imagine trying to herd donkeys? Goes over here, okay, just come on. And this donkey's being stubborn. He finally gets it halfway and then he looks back and the other donkey's gone away. It's kind of like leadership. Come on, small business owner, leader, parent. Anyone relate to this? Sometimes people can be real. 
donkeys. I was just going to say donkeys. I don't know. <laughs> and so he's frustrated. He can't relocate. He can't find these animals. So he decides to go to a prophet named Samuel. Can you help me find my donkeys? <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that. <laughs> and Samuel says, you're not here for your donkeys. And he says, hey, um, you're here to be anointed to be the first king of Israel. So Samuel fills a cup. This is something made of clay, made by a potter, fashioned by a person, filled this cup with this holy anointing oil, and he approaches this really tall, good-looking guy, and he pours the oil on his head to be king. You know what's interesting about that? Is once that anointing was poured out, those donkeys, under their own steam, just started heading in the right direction. They had been obstinate and stubborn and impossible for Saul to lead, but once he has the anointing on his life, Samuel says, by the way, your donkeys are on their way home now. The difference between being a frustrated leader, come on somebody, if you're leading and you look behind, nobody's following you, Pastor Greg Surratt says, then you're just out taking a walk. Anybody really? <laughs> the difference between being a frustrated leader versus just following the Holy Spirit and watching people be drawn magnetically to your leadership is the presence of heaven's oil on your life. And there came a point where Saul did some things for God, but then he started to live for himself and, uh, and forfeited the anointing. And I know that's kind of a hard part of this message, but can I tell you something? Even in that case, the anointing to be a king didn't go back up to heaven. But instead, God spoke to Samuel. Now, this has been 20 years later, so Samuel's now a little older, a little more distinguished, a little more gray hair. And God speaks to him and says, it's time to anoint the next king, the second king of Israel. You know, when I think of this cup, right, this cup that was used to pour oil on Saul's head, it was holy anointing oil, so that's something that God instructed, but it was, it, it was used to fill a man-made vessel, a man-made cup. And if you look at Saul's leadership, that's kind of a symbolic picture of his life. He had the touch of heaven on him, but he did things his own way. And isn't it interesting when God told Samuel to anoint the next leader, he said, I want you to do something different this time. Because the Bible says instead of filling a, a cup up with oil, this time God instructed Samuel to fill up an old curly ram's horn. That is something only God can make. And so Samuel fills this horn of oil and God tells him to go to the house of a guy named Jesse. And so he goes to the house of a guy named Jesse and he says, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. How, come on dads, how far out would your chest puff? My son? And so Jesse has seven sons that show up. He has eight, but one was too busy working, serving his family to show up for the promotion party. The seven that showed up, they look good. And you see Samuel, he would approach each one of these seven young men. And they looked great. They looked like kings. But as he would approach them, God would stop him from, from pouring that oil out. Now, I don't know if you've seen this cross-stitched on a pillow or on a refrigerator magnet. But have you ever seen the verse that says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart? Do you know that verse is specifically God speaking uh, 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 through Samuel He's specifically saying, when it comes to the people that I choose to pour out my anointing, 
then I'm not looking at the, the outside. I, I'm gonna do a heart test on people to see if they qualify for the anointing. That verse is specifically about who God trusts with his anointing. Not somebody who just presents well, come on somebody, but somebody who has a heart of character. They wanna serve, they pray, they share their faith. And so Samuel's like, you've only got seven sons? I think that's great. That's before Netflix. They didn't have other entertainment options. <laughs> only some of you get that, and that's really sad. <laughs> so Jesse says, well, I have one more son, and, but he's out tending to the sheep. He's, he's, he's faithfully doing the job that his father had given him. And as Jesse started to tell Samuel about the character of this young man named David. Something in this old prophet kind of just, it's like his stature just uh, stiffened up and, and he becomes kind of intense and he says, he says this, I will not sit down until you bring David into my presence. Now I want you to see this prophet of God holding this horn of oil, he won't be comforted, he won't be entertained, he won't be distracted. He says, I'm going to stand just like this until you find that faithful young man who's out there doing a little job for his father. He has the, he's passed the heart test. Bring him into my presence so I can pour this power on his life. And I want you to know there is one who stands in this room today looking at every one of us for hearts that he can trust with his anointing that can pour out something on your life that can change your life. And I don't know how long it took for David to find a replacement shepherd and to, uh, and, and to make sure his, his sheep were safely penned or whatever it took. It may have taken hours for David to be brought into the presence of Samuel, but Samuel stood there the entire time because he would not sit or be comforted until he brought David into his presence and poured the anointing on his life. And there comes a point where David shows up and that horn of oil is emptied on David's head. It would, be, it would be 10 or 20 years before David would become king. So before he ever had a crown, please don't miss this, before he had a promotion, he had the anointing for leadership. And you can see incredible, he was very compelling as a leader. There was a moment where, where he, he says, uh, he's in the middle of battle and, and he's, just remembering the taste of the water from his hometown. It's like, oh man, I wish I could just have a drink. The water from my hometown, the well of my youth. Three of his soldiers risked their lives, broke through enemy lines just to go draw water from that well. Come on, somebody. He, there was something on his life that was compelling. And when they came back and they brought him that water, he was so moved at their faithfulness and their daring that he wouldn't drink the water, but instead he just poured it out as a drink offering before God. That's what the anointing of leadership looks like before you ever get the office. David was anointed to be king. He loved the anointing. You know, he was addicted to that stuff. He was anointed three times in the Bible. And then there comes a point where that anointing manifested, the anointing to be king manifested in the crown being placed on his head. And there comes a point where he begins to worship and Scribes would take down what he's shouting out and singing out, and that becomes many of the Psalms. And, and there comes a point where this guy who loved the anointing had an open vision of heaven. He had a picture of God, which is pretty awesome, but then he sees someone on the right hand of the Father dripping with something. And you see this, this phrase, and, and you almost miss it if you're not careful. It's Psalm 2, verse 2. 
where David says something really historically significant in the life of, of believers. He said, I see the Lord and his anointed. And that word anointed in the Old Testament, the, 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 the original language, is where we get the word Messiah. Come on, somebody, the first person in human history to, to utter that it related to the person that we worship was a man who loved the anointing and recognized that oil dripping from him. And other prophets would see this oiled one, if you will, centuries into the future. There'd be someone who would say, is there a physician who can bring the healing oil of Gilead, the balm of Gilead that can heal us? And, and people at different phases in history, they would look ahead and they would see this anointed one off into the future, but it was a guy named Peter who would stand face to face with this man, and this man would ask Peter, I know what other people say about who I am, who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him, now listen, when we read that in, in the Bible, and, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, don't miss the significance of this moment. What he's saying in that moment is, you are the guy that King David saw in the spirit. You are the one, you're the physician that carries that balm of Gilead. You are the one who can cook without burning. You are the one whose engine can keep right on going and get to the destination when other people burn up. You are the light of the world that never burns out, even in the darkest night. Jesus Christ, he says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now why is that word important? How many of you know Christ is not Jesus' last name? But the root word for oil in, in the New Testament is the word chrism. The one who carries the chrism is called the Christos. Oh, no, I'll give you a quick lesson. Chrisco. <laughs> oil company. And so when, when Peter was saying, you're, you're the Christ, he's saying, you are the one who is dripping with heaven's power. Jesus was singularly and ultimately qualified to carry heaven's oil. Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a king, and Jesus was a priest. Come on, somebody. I, I feel the presence of the Lord right now. Jesus is a priest of the order of Melchizedek. He's a prophet to our soul. And the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And Jesus is not just a king, but he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ was so saturated in heaven's oil that not a single time in the Bible, he never poured physical oil on anybody, but he was so filled with the anointing that it carried on his breath. And there came a moment where he looked at his disciples, and the Bible says, we have a slide for this, the Bible says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And these regular, everyday, ordinary people, just like Eliezer was a regular guy until that oil got on him, when those regular people were, were touched with heaven's power, it changed them and they became great. Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Now there, there's a, I talked about Saul and how he failed. There was another guy, even in the New Testament, who also made some mistakes. He betrayed Jesus and he died and his name was Judas. And you know what's interesting? If you look at the first and second chapters of Acts, 
something about the New Testament church, they understood exactly what I'm telling you now, the nature of the anointing, because they didn't just think, okay, well, sorry that he's gone, that's just it, now we have 11. No, instead they said, no, we need to find another person to pour that anointing on, so that that can be the 12th apostle. And this is interesting to me. I I hope you guys have a little grace to hear this, because I have a theory for you, and if it's heresy, just, just email Pastor Peter, he'll clean it up next week. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> but there came a point, okay, Judas is gone, so we need to find somebody to, to replace him to receive that anointing. And Peter makes a mistake. In my view, he makes a mistake, and you can be the judge of this. But remember where the Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart? So it's specific about the anointing. So Peter stands up in the upper room, and so you guys can be the upper room, I'll be Peter, and, uh, and, he, and, he, uh, and he says, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna maybe pre-select from this crowd, because you guys look a little sketchy. Now that's not in the Bible, that's just my take on it. And uh, he says, so if you were with us when Jesus ascended, if you were with us when this happened, if you were with us when this happened, then you qualify. And so he pre-selected, he filtered out most of the crowd, and there were only two people that qualified. One guy named uh, Barsabbas, and the other one named Matthias. And then he prays a prayer. I gotta say, I don't like this prayer. And this is what Peter says. He says, God, who knows the hearts of all men. <laughs> of all, I love this. Remember, God looks on the heart. God knows your heart and your heart, and God knows your heart. I don't care about your heart. We've already pre-selected these guys. God, who knows the hearts of all men, show us which one of these two you've chosen. That's his prayer. Now, does a light shine from heaven? This is Matthias, my apostle, in whom I'm well pleased. No. You know what they do next? Now, imagine choosing church leadership using lots or dice. Let's just say Pastor Peter and Carolyn, about 78 years, they decide to retire. And uh, that was a joke. And uh, so it's time to choose the next leader. They're like, don't worry about it. We have... We have sought the counsel of Acts chapter one and two on churching, uh, choosing the next church leadership. We've got a stack of resumes here. Come on, somebody, where are you? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Mama needs a new pair of shoes. And the Bible says the lot fell on Matthias. And that's how he became the 12th apostle. Now, if you see Matthias' name there in Acts one and two, circle it, highlight it, Put a star beside it, put a check by it, because you will never see his name mentioned again. As far as we know, he never does anything except wears an apostle's hat. I'm a big deal. That's apostle Matthias to you. Okay? Now, now why do I bring this up? Well, because there was actually another young man in the upper room, and he didn't pass, he didn't qualify for Peter's like extra filters, you know? But he had a heart for God. He had a heart to serve. And his name was Stephen. And there, ca- there comes a moment where these apostles, including the new apostle Matthias, I guess, they decide, hey, we're preaching the word of God. We need some people that will start uh, an I Love This City initiative and feed people. We need some people who will meet the physical needs of the community so their hearts can be unlocked to receive the medicine for their spiritual needs. And who was it that says, oh, pick me? It was a guy named Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, awesome uh, uh, reputation, 
Now imagine you're sitting there and you hear Substance talk about love this city. How do you take that? Do you think, you mean an opportunity to carry groceries for heaven? Or are you like, oh, that sounds cold? Well, Stephen, he was like, I get to be a grocery delivery boy for Jesus? And so he says, pick me, pick me. And Stephen becomes one of the first two deacons. And something happens. I wanna, I wanna just share how my imagination works a little bit, and then I'll show you the scripture behind why I'm saying what I'm saying. Stephen, I can just see him going to the apostles, maybe Matthias. And he says, I'm so excited to be a grocery delivery boy for Jesus. I just have a question. If I meet someone, if I bring them food and they're sick, can I lay my hands on them and pray for them? And I can just see Matthias, Apostle Matthias saying, knock yourself out, young man. Go ahead. Go, go for it. And he's so excited. He's like, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And he goes from house to house. Hi, I'm from Substance. I'm just here with, with uh, yeah, I, I love this city, love your city, and, and, and I'm here to just bring some groceries. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Well, how are you doing? Well, you know, I've been a little bit sick. My back is out. I can't, I'm, I'm blind in one of my eyes. You know, I'm making this stuff up right now. That's not in the Bible at all. And Stephen says, ma'am, can I pray for you? Oh, if you think it'll help. And he lays his hand on this woman and her eye pops open and her back is healed. And now they have a duet. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Miracle after miracle, because what the Bible does say is that many signs and miracles were worked at the hands of Stephen. I want you to see how the anointing works here, guys. Stephen went from being a grocery delivery boy for Jesus to now being a healer. And he gets to the place where so many people are being healed, they want to hear what he has to say. A new level of anointing comes on Stephen's life, and he starts preaching in the streets. And when he started preaching in the streets, he started making such an impact that people in, in power were threatened by him. You know you're doing something right when the persecution comes. And so these governmental leaders, they show up to where Stephen is preaching, and they look at him, and they say, you better be very careful with what you say next, because it could cost you everything. And Stephen looks right at them, and a brand new level of anointing came upon him. Remember, he started as a grocery delivery boy, then he starts healing people, then he starts preaching. Now he's looking at people that want to take his life, and a new level of anointing comes upon him, and he starts to shine. The Bible says that his face began to shine like the face of an angel. And he looked right at them, and he preached the entire seventh chapter of Acts. And he talked about almost all the same people I talked to you about today. And he's like, you guilty people murdered Jesus, but if you'll, if you'll repent, there can be mercy for you. And these powerful people became so enraged at Stephen that they, they begin to glare at him, and the Bible says they begin to gnash at him with their teeth. And then they seized him, and they took Stephen to a place where they could stone him, execute him. And on their way, they came across this young Jewish Roman official named Saul. And they said, hey, come with us. We want you to preside over this execution. And so he gladly went with them. And the Bible says where Saul was standing, these, these men, they took off their cloaks and they threw their garments in front of him. And there's Stephen. And these men begin to pick up rocks and as those rocks begin to fly, maybe puncturing organs or breaking bones, whatever's happening, this is a, a very traumatic thing. And as those rocks begin to fly, a new level of anointing comes upon Stephen. Now listen, if you and I were being assaulted, if someone was throwing rocks at us, our natural reflex would be to protect our internal organs, right? 
But Stephen has this new outpouring of the anointing on him so powerful that as those rocks are crushing him, he extends himself out and he looks up and he says, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing. Just like Samuel had stood for David, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, was standing for Stephen. I could just see this, where Jesus is like, I'm not gonna sit down until I bring this young man into my presence. And then Stephen died. He, he fell asleep and he died. I was on a, a tour in Israel and um, heard this tour guide say, and I don't know if this is true, but they said that, that they believed it was customary in that day that the ranking Jewish official present at an execution would get the garments of the executed as a trophy. Oil has a way of sticking in your clothes. Is that the way the apostolic anointing was transferred to Saul's life? I don't know. But somehow in that exchange between Saul and Stephen, that anointing found a home in Saul. And he went crazy, he went crazy. And everything in his life was transformed, even his name, and he became Paul. And the Bible calls Paul not just an apostle, but the greatest apostle. Now, why am I saying this to you? Because I believe that anointing in the upper room, that apostolic anointing, maybe it went to Matthias, but I believe it also intersected with Stephen's life. And then you can see the evidence of it on his life. And then when he's executed, that apostolic anointing transferred to Paul who became the greatest apostle. And then Paul grew old and he passed the anointing down to Timothy. And then Timothy passed his anointing down. You know, when I think about Pastor Peter, I wonder which apostle's anointing rests on his life. Because that's how the anointing works. And generation after generation, you hear of awesome people like Smith Wigglesworth, and Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians, Tertullian, Catherine Kuhlman, Amy Simple McPherson, just men and women who were regular people until the oil of heaven was poured out on their life and they became great. And I'm here to tell you that the same anointing that was poured out on David and Aaron and Elijah and Stephen and Pastor Peter and Carolyn is available for you. But God is looking through the room for a heart that he can trust with his power. Would you pray with me right now? God, make me qualified for your anointing. Help me pass the heart test. Help us to be people that don't turn a blind eye to the people that are hurting in our community, but instead we say, I love this city. I wanna serve. I want to be part of the outpouring of your oil on the earth. We bless you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.